Predictions are dangerous. We absolutely need more inventory. The Fed doesn't actually have a lot of tools to regulate inflation. That cash has dried up. Wow, is my first thought, Bruce. If both parties don't win, it doesn't happen. The Real Look. Trending News. G'day. Today is Wednesday, September 20th. I'm Bruce Hardy. And I'm Chase Williams. And this is the news you need to know. Well, Chase, the Consumer Price Index, or the CPI, increased 0.6% month over month and 3.7% year over year in August. It's the second consecutive month of rising inflation, with the CPI having risen 0.2% in July. Now, core inflation, which excludes food and energy, rose 4.3% in August, down from last month's 4.7% annual increase, but still well above the Fed's 2% target. Chase, we know that housing is a big part of what's driving these numbers. So what are your thoughts about this increase in the CPI? I'm confused, first of all, Bruce, because aren't we supposed to be lowering inflation? Shouldn't it be going down based on all the effort of the Fed and the interest rates? And, And here it is going up, right? That makes me a little uneasy in terms of what might be to come. But it is interesting, Bruce. Part of the story, obviously, is dealing with shelter costs or housing costs and their effect on the CPI numbers. As a matter of fact, if shelter was excluded from the CPI calculation, inflation would be about 1%, said Bright MLS Chief Economist Lisa Sturtevant. So that's a huge aha, if you will. For those paying attention, because 1% certainly would be below the 2% target. And yet with shelter included, it's still well above the Fed target. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I think it's interesting, right? So if you look at, at the consumer price index, it covers a whole range of different categories. And what showed increases in the month of August were categories like rent, Home as equivalent rent, which would be the cost of housing, motor vehicle insurance, medical care, and personal care. And then the indices for lodging away from home. So that would be like hotels, Airbnb, VRBO, used cars and trucks and recreation were among the categories that actually decreased over the month. As I think about these different categories, what's occurring to me is things like travel, right? Airfares, hotels, Airbnbs. Cars and trucks and recreation were the ones that decreased the most. And I believe that that's because of the impact of the raised interest rates. And those things will be impacted quicker than will housing. So we've yet to experience the impact of the rising interest rates on our housing expenses. And, you know, again, we talk about this in in our industry. There's always a lag between cause and effect. So I think that that's really what we're experiencing. I think ultimately, all the work that the Fed has been doing, Chase, is going to show up for us. It's just taking a little longer than most people would hope. Yeah. And yet the rent index was up 7.2% in August, rising for the 40th consecutive month. Four zero fortieth 40th consecutive month. So it's been going up for 40 months. And if we're anticipating it coming down, we're just not sure when that might happen. And to your point, Bruce, I think a lot of this spending that is affected early is, is what we might consider discretionary or somewhat mm-hmm. discretionary travel, as an example, versus housing, which for most people is not discretionary in any way, shape, form or fashion. And so, yeah, can it be impacted and, and will it be over time? Probably. 
it's very slow to be impacted because it's something we have to pay each month in order to live wherever that may be. It doesn't typically go down rapidly if it goes down at all. So it'll be interesting. I, I certainly our buddy Lawrence Young over at the National Association of Realtors made a cautionary quote considering what the Fed might do given these numbers. He said, overdoing the rate hikes, considering that inflation is likely to calm, will unnecessarily damage the economy. And certainly as an economist for the National Association of Realtors, I'm sure Lawrence is hopeful that we can get some relief in mortgage prices, talking about how inflation is likely to calm. Well, I'm not sure how likely that is, because how long have we gone now with not a lot of calming of the inflation challenge? And we know, right, that the Fed rate doesn't directly impact mortgage rates. And yet we're seeing mortgage rates now over 7%. And that's sidelining a lot of buyers, right? Because we've got high average sales price, high interest rates, a lot of people can't afford. Now, by the way, that creates more demand on rental units. So any idea that we're going to see rents come down anytime soon, unless the building industry goes and builds a whole lot more units to offset that demand with supply, I'm with you. I don't think that we're going to see a drop in rental rates. The other thing is, it's easy to point fingers and say, well, gosh, if they keep raising the rates, they're going to damage the economy. But the reality is, is we've got to correct. Until we do correct, this is going to continue to persist. Again, it's going to be interesting. Now they're starting to talk that we're going to see CPI coming down through 2024. And I think that actually makes sense, right, is that it's going to take time. The impacts of these interest rates are going to ultimately cause things to slow down. We're going to see inflation drop. We'll see unemployment go up, unfortunately, right? Those things need to happen in order to cool the economy so that we get rid of this inflation. Yeah, the challenge, right? And one of the fears, Bruce, is this goal of a soft landing, quote unquote, right, that we often hear. The government has not shown a valuable track record of being able to land us softly. <laughs> Therefore, the recession word comes into play, right? And that's the, that's the big concern. Over time, I think all those numbers change because whether the landing is soft or incredibly hard, we have to correct to your point. And I don't want to predict which way it goes. I just want to illustrate the fact that the government's not traditionally been great at creating some sort of a soft landing on this stuff. I'm so glad you said that because, you know, our audience for this podcast, Chase, are realtors primarily. And as realtors, we're all business people. We just need to understand what's going on in the market. Here's the thing. If we do have a recession, we can't say that we weren't warned, right? That we didn't have any foresight to say, oh, this could come. Let's prepare for it now, mm -hmm. right? Because there is a real opportunity for us to prepare for it now. And I think back, you know, to the Great Recession in 2008, that was the longest recession we've had since the Great Depression. And by the way, that lasted 18 months. Most recessions on average last six to nine months. We just want to put it out there that, hey, you know what? Let's prepare for the worst and hope for the best. If we do that, we won't get hurt, or at least not too badly. Remax is now the second real estate franchisor to reach a settlement with plaintiffs in the two lawsuits that could upend how consumers pay agents nationwide. And they're agreeing to fork over, get this, $55 million and adjust their business practices. 
On Monday, Remax and plaintiffs for the Sitzer Burnett lawsuit, which is scheduled for trial October 16th, filed a notice in the U.S. District Court in Western Missouri alerting the court that Remax had agreed to settle all of the claims against the company as part of a proposed nationwide class settlement. Now, the deal was jointly negotiated with the plaintiffs in the larger suit known as Merle. Remax, a publicly traded company, also notified the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission of the deal on Monday. So, Chase, this is big news, right? First anywhere, now Remax. What are your thoughts? Well, we wondered, Bruce, in commentary before whether Anywhere's settlement would be kind of the first domino in a series of dominoes falling in terms of settling these cases. And it appears that that may be the case. There's at least two dominoes, let's put it that way. These are big numbers, Bruce. I found it kind of fascinating when you listen to what their spokespeople are saying. It's almost as if you could copy and paste it from what the spokespeople for anywhere were saying. And the reason I point that out is not to make that sound negative. It's because this tends to be kind of what can happen when you have multiple plaintiffs that are very similar in nature fighting against claims that they might refute, and yet they're concerned about how much it's going to cost and how much time it's going to take to fight them. So I'll give you an example. Remax LLC steadfastly refutes the allegations presented in the lawsuits. However, the settlement paves the way for a clear path forward for the Remax brand, its franchisees, its agents, removing the uncertainty of ongoing litigation related to these cases. That's a copy and paste from what we've reported on before. And, you know, unfortunately, Bruce, it makes sense. It's an option, right? You say, gosh, this lawsuit could be total bullshit. Excuse my French. And yet, how much is it going to cost us to fight it? We don't know if we would win. It's going to take time and energy. We've got other partners in the business that are worried and concerned about how they're affected. And so here you have another company settling. It would be hard to consider that the other similar companies wouldn't strongly consider following suit rather than going all the way to the mat around this. What are your thoughts? In their SEC filing, they stated the settlement resolves all claims in the lawsuits and similar claims on a nationwide basis against Remax and releases Remax and the company, their subsidiaries and affiliates, and Remax sub-franchisors, franchisees, and their sales associates in the United States from the claims. So again, they're doing a pro and con, you know, the old Ben Franklin decision-making process. What are the pros of, of settling versus the cons? You know, what are the pros of litigating this versus the cons? And I think they've decided, hey, you know what, this is going to be the cheaper route and we get back to business. Now, what I find interesting by the terms of the settlement, Remax agreed to pay a total settlement amount of $55 million into a qualified settlement fund. In addition, Remax agreed to make certain changes to its business practices. Now, just as we reported last week in the Anywhere settlement, we don't know what those changes are until they're approved by the court. I believe, though, the result of all of this, Chase, is we're going to see a fundamental shift in how agents are compensated in our industry. I think this is going to have a huge impact. It very well could, Bruce. The thing that I feel a little conflicted, maybe even confused around, when you're naming a franchisor, right, anywhere, Remax, Keller Williams, they're all franchisors. I happen to be a franchisee 
of Keller Williams. What I believe is that the franchisor has never once dictated what a home seller does or does not do. Their only agreement is with me, the franchisee, and yet because of the participation rule of the National Association of Realtors and then some of the named MLSs, these attorneys are after the deep pockets of a franchisor, right? Keller Williams, as far as I know, doesn't even have a rule around what a home seller has to do because, again, their agreement is a franchise agreement with me, not the home seller, right? And yet here we are. It might not even matter. We're talking about millions and millions of dollars. So one thing is for certain is that these companies will take whatever action necessary, even beyond settling for millions, to ensure that this is never an issue for them again. And that alone can absolutely change the way that we do business. Guaranteed Rate Affinity has initiated legal action against former loan originators, accusing them of breaching contracts by failing to pay back advanced signing bonuses and commissions after they left the company. Now, Guaranteed Rate Affinity is a joint venture established in 2017 by Guaranteed Rate, one of the largest lenders in the country, and Anywhere Real Estate, formerly Realogy. The company originates and markets its mortgage lending services to Anywhere's real estate brokerage and relocation subsidiaries. Now, according to the lawsuits and former employees who requested anonymity for fear of retribution, Guaranteed Rate Affinity has demanded that former loan originators who left months or even over a year ago return their signing bonuses because they did not meet the predetermined duration of employment required to be eligible for the compensation. You know, we came through a very hot market where not only lenders, but real estate companies offered these six-figure, seven-figure signing bonuses. It's interesting that now, as the world turns, how people are responding. What are your thoughts? Well, I don't know, Bruce. My opinion on this may be unpopular, but this is not uncommon in our industry and other industries, right? Signing bonuses, some would call them advances. Now, each each of these agreements with someone that you're hiring has different terms associated with it, right? And yet, if you look through the details of some of these lawsuits, they were tied to a certain length of time with the company. And the folks that received these signing bonuses slash advances were with the company for much shorter time periods than what they were tied to. I myself have received some of these over the years when I used to work in corporate America, right? It was like, hey, we're going to give you this bonus for moving here. And yet, if you take the bonus and you leave, you got to pay it back. It's pretty clear, Bruce. You know, it could seem like a David versus Goliath here if you, you know, the big bad company going after these employees for all the money they paid them. And yet, usually these are relatively clear to the folks receiving them. Matter of fact, a couple of the examples that are given around a couple of these employees, a $200,000 signing bonus tied to 13 months of employment, a $400,000 signing bonus tied to 13 months of employment. Short of spending all of that money in the handful of months these folks were there, I'm mostly feeling like maybe I undershot my negotiation on my signing bonus here, Bruce, but we'll save that for another call. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'll be another conversation. <laughs> Chase, I agree with you. I wouldn't say that guaranteed rate affinity is necessarily wrong in this. The word of caution here, for those listeners who've actually gone and done this, 
is before you make a decision, make sure you read the contract, right? Some of the contracts that I've seen that have been offered to realtors have been really onerous. And again, if you're excited about the money and you're not reading the fine print, that can shock you when things are done. You think about the market that we were in for literally 11 or 12 years, right? Nothing but high and to the right. And then bang, we're now in a, in a shrinking market. We're down 30% in units from two years ago. And oh, by the way, the mortgage market, the refi boom, which was just a, a moneymaker for the mortgage companies, disappeared, right? And now everybody's looking to cut costs. So I, I can understand why they're trying to claw back some of these bonuses that weren't honored. In addition, Guaranteed Rate Affinity laid off hundreds of employees across two rounds of layoffs last month. You see why they're doing that. Yeah, unfortunately, Bruce, the underpinning challenge around this is just the overall challenge in the mortgage industry, right? You're going to see companies going after these things more than they otherwise would if everything was still booming, because then it becomes a distraction versus the opportunity to claw back legitimately hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially that you need, right? If you weren't needing them and and times were great as they were, maybe you make a different decision around going after former employees. So there's always two sides to every story, Bruce, and that's fair for us to say. And yet when mortgage companies going after former employees is the news above how many loans they're originating, you know that things have certainly changed inside of the industry. Well, that's the news you need to know. Don't miss this Friday's Northern Lights episode where we'll interview Abraham Shreve, CEO of Business Maps Training and Coaching and founding partner of the Millionaire Business Network. Thanks again for tuning in with us on The Real Look. This podcast is produced by Marissa Frost. Visit kwnwr.com to access the show notes from today's episode. Head over to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe to The Real Look. And don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with a breakdown of all things real estate.